This episode of the Aquademia podcast is brought to you by the Future of Fish feed. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Aquademia podcast. I'm Sean O'Loughlin. I'm Justin Grant. And today we are sitting down with James Arthur Smith, who is a co-founder of Seatopia. And we talk about what Seatopia is all about. And uh, we also have a pretty cool in-depth conversation about messaging and telling the story of aquaculture and how we can kind of break out of the vacuum of the seafood industry that we always talk about and get more into the minds and hearts of consumers. So um, it's a really cool conversation. I think you're really going to enjoy it. But before we get into it, I want to remind everybody, you know, like I always do, to make sure that you are subscribed to Aquademia wherever you're listening right now. So that way, every time a new episode comes out, it'll automatically be downloaded directly to your device. We are on Twitter at AquademiaPod. Go ahead and locate us and give us a follow. If you want to contact the podcast for any reason, we do have an online form located at globalseafood.org slash podcast. That's right. Leave us a rating and review wherever you listen. It really helps us out. and We appreciate everybody that's already done that. And if you haven't yet, please make sure that you fill out the survey that we have available uh, right now. It's not going to be up forever, but it should still be up as of the the release of this episode. So you can find the link for that in the show notes. That's really going to help us out to make sure that our content is exactly what you all are looking for. So enjoy this conversation that we had with James, and we will talk to you at the end. Welcome to the Aquademia podcast. Our diet is hurting the environment in myriad ways. I mean, we desperately need to eat more seafood. This is a pioneering industry with a whole lot of people who have really good ideas and a lot of experience and are unafraid. Aquademia is your go-to podcast for a fresh take on all things seafood. All right, so we're sitting down today with James Arthur Smith, who is the co-founder of Seatopia. How's it going, James? Thanks for joining us. Really good. Stoked to be here. Thanks for having awesome. me. Awesome. Yeah, we're stoked to have you, and we're glad that you reached out to us. You guys are doing a lot of work with us here at GSA and with BAP. I know Elise was excited that you were coming on. Unfortunately, she couldn't join us either for this, but um, she was like, oh, that's going to be a great episode, so she's pretty excited. And we really want to talk about some of the stuff that Seatopia is doing and um, kind of have a conversation about messaging and kind of telling the story of aquaculture to reach a wider audience, kind of break out of that vacuum that we always talk about. But before we get into it, James, I want to hear about you. And I want our listeners to kind of know who they're listening to today. So why don't you give us a little bit of your backstory, kind of what what's your story, who you are, what you do, and how you got to where you are now? Yeah, gladly. So um, backstory is probably a good place to start. Um, I'm going to go all the way back to maybe adolescence. Um, when I was five, six, seven years old, my mom worked at SeaWorld and every Thursday I got to, and I'm 40 something years old now. So this is, uh, you know, in the eighties, uh, early eighties. And, um, every Thursday I would go, cause we had like half day on Thursdays. I got to go to, to SeaWorld every Thursday and my grandmother would take me there and, and I left when my mom got off work, but I got behind the scenes access to meet a lot of the people that worked there, including the Shamu trainers. And I got some like behind scene access to be able to actually interact with some of these marine mammals. And I was so fascinated. I was so excited that I thought this was the coolest job in the world. And I thought when I grow up, I'm going to be a Shamu trainer that has other implications that we've learned about as we've matured in, in our understanding of the needs of these massive mm-hmm. very uh wild uh cetaceans but uh regardless that got me on 
on the path of thinking about marine biology and mammalogy and the programs that I would need to get access to these uh, schools and, and build a resume. So I started working at an aquarium or volunteering at an aquarium when I was 10 years old, uh, worked there for, I think, uh, four years. Um, and back when you could volunteer at an aquarium at 10 years old, <laughs> I guess so. I mean, they had, uh, it was a kind of a unique situation where they were like, yeah, you can, you know, help clean the tanks and stuff like that. Um, it was also a unique uh, situation where the lead aquarist at this um, this place in San Diego, the Tourist and Nature Interpretive Center, as it was called at the time, he uh, had been in an accident. So he had become uh, paraplegic and really relied on interns, had a great program of interns that helped him with a lot of things. And he was so inspirational. He planted the seed in my mind of the potential of aquaculture because in the aquarium we had a steelhead trout rehabilitation uh, pilot project where we're actually raising steelhead trout from eggs um, showing in this sort of uh, uh, demonstration to the public experience that the how these steelhead trout go from salt water back into fresh water and how they grow and how they could and there was like this little poster with a little storyboard infographic of how they could be rehabilitated back into these wild spaces uh, if we you know, are good stewards of the estuaries and the waterways and the rivers and the dams and how they can also be raised in aquaculture to feed people. And that sparked so much interest and enthusiasm, this beautiful picture he painted for me. So obviously I did nothing with that for 20 years. <laughs> but 20 years later, after a few other... Uh, uh, endeavors. I really, I, I had the opportunity to really follow something that I thought I was passionate about, and that was getting, being intimately uh, connected to the ocean and being part of the blue economy and changing our relationship to the ocean. And I had already been working in food and food systems and built uh, a CPG brand that had been sold nationwide in, in Whole Foods, and I really wanted something that was just directly connected to the ocean. And so I started working uh, with a farm in Mexico that was producing some of the best yellowtail in the world. And it was a beautiful product that um, was raised, you know, without any antibiotics, using some algae-based feeds and just really cool, innovative stuff. But I realized pretty quickly that a big uh, problem, a big risk in this business was that we didn't know who our customers were. And unlike the CPG brand that I had built where we were connecting these amazing farms uh, through, in, through this product, through this brand, direct to consumer, both selling online and through uh, Whole, Whole Foods. With aquaculture, we didn't know who our customers were because we were selling to importers who then sold to distributors, who then sold mm -hmm. to other distributors, yep. and it just became commoditized so quickly that we didn't know who our customers were, and the end customer didn't actually know who we were. And so the incentives through that channel uh, were, you know, how do you lower the price and how do you increase your volumes? And if you don't sell to us, we're going to buy from another yellowtail farm and we're going to, it's all going to end up on the same sort of like farm to yellowtail plate because that's all that consumers, customers are asking for. So that's sort of a backstory in that process. I uh, uh, built a wholesale import distribution business uh, that was catered to farm to table restaurants in Southern California and eventually got um, our, that farm and a handful of other farms, you know, 
brand recognition on the menus of the most prestigious farm to table restaurants, Michelin star restaurants, and progressively started working with more farms. And uh, that was going swimmingly until COVID closed all the restaurants. Mm, and yeah. that, that was, a oh, yeah, really, that. <laughs> that was a really disruptive thing for farms that had all this livestock, you know, these carnivorous animals that have very specific feed requirements yep. that need to, um, you know, they also have these growth curves, right? And once they get to a certain size, the return on investment on continuing to feed them goes down significantly. So these farms really needed another sales channel. And Seatopia was a business model that I floated for a while that finally had a market opportunity. So a little bit of backstory. Uh, that's, that's how I got started. <laughs> Very cool. So that's the perfect transition. You, you teed us up really well, actually. So let's talk about Seatopia. Talk to us about this business model. Kind of you, you, You've niched down pretty well in this industry uh, for what you're doing with Seatopia. So can you kind of tell us about the company and what, what you do and kind of what your goals are? So Seatopia, uh, the goal is really to build an authentically regenerative seafood supply chain to change our relationship with the ocean in a way that everything from like packaging, like you no know, styrofoam to feeds and to uh, the practices and incentive incentives and transparency to the farms, all of that is being put into action through this uh, market-based solution, which connects uh, farms directly to consumers and enables consumers to get a subscription of products that they know and trust from sources they know and trust. So. As a farm, you could sell to distributors. You could also try to sell online. But through Zootopia, we're creating a platform that fully transparent, super seamless, and allows the customers to get a variety of different products from farms that they like. And um, that variety seems to be something that they really like. Um, it's worth noting that we don't do any wild-caught seafood. Um, it's just sort of our vision, our personal vision. Uh, it might not be correct, but our personal vision is that they're we need to transition from industrial scale hunting and extraction from the ocean to cultivating the ocean in a sustainable manner. And that that's the only true scalable way that we should be feeding uh, the growing population is with aquaculture products from the ocean. So uh, CW is a solution to uh, help foster more sustainable regenerative practices in, aqu in aquaculture. We deliver now to 48 states in U.S. Uh, it's all delivered carbon neutral. It's all eco-friendly packaging. Uh, we also have a, a partnership with OceanWise, where we're uh, where we're planting kelp for every single order. Uh, so on a one-for-one -one basis, we're helping reforest kelp beds that are, you know, being uh, planted in marine protected areas. It's not kelp that's being harvested for any sort of use other that's literally just planted to rehabilitate these key breeding and spawning grounds for wild fish. Uh, it's also worth noting that um, because it's all from farms and because it is this sort of consistent supply, we're able to also um, provide a certificate of analysis on every lot that we receive. So we have quantifiable heavy metal levels and things of that nature for every product in our catalog. And a pretty robust traceability system, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's so much easier to do traceability. Um, when you have long-term partnerships with farms as you know wild caught seafood it's it's a crapshoot you know you have all these myriad sources you have inefficient quantities of fish you know unpredictable quantities of fish coming into the markets at different times that doesn't necessarily match consumer demand with aquaculture 
that's you know that's how civilization has grown is predictability and controls and you know right I, I think we all agree that aquaculture is a solution for planets really now a matter of putting together systems and markets that incentivize the sort of maturity of more innovative practices and as we say we are enabling consumers to vote with their forks. Right. And that's something that we talk about quite a bit, actually, on the show is uh, we, we say voting with their wallets, but it's the same thing. Right. So. Yeah. So ultimately, Seatopia is is a buyer and distributor. Is yeah. That- yeah. That's, that's a good way to say it. Uh, we work with uh, artisan farms and larger farms to uh, sell their best uh, available aquaculture products. So, for example, with like a, a, a big farm in Norway that might have 30 different concessions and one of them happens to have this pilot project doing multi-trophic aquaculture with uh, mussels and kelp surrounding their salmon farm. They've, you know, the, the feedback that we've got is you're the first buyer that said we only want product from that lot and we're willing to pay extra for it. So we connect consumers directly to the best, most innovative aquaculture products. Yeah, actually, this is something that I wanted to touch on. And, and Elise wanted me to make sure that I brought this up, too. I was talking to Elise, podcast fan favorite, Elise Avalon. Um, and she's our, our BAP marketing manager. Yeah. But, and I told her that we were going to talk to you. And she was bummed that she couldn't join us. But she also said she was talking about Seatopia. And she was like, so Seatopia is all about sourcing and providing like top quality, like sushi grade products you're you're all about finding the absolute best quality that you can when you're looking at these different different species and different products and she wanted me to talk to you um to have you talk a little bit about kind of the sourcing procedure i guess would be the word right like how like what what goes in to your decision making when you're sourcing product to sell and take as much time as you need with this thing (laughs) i mean it's it's an in-depth process but in a nutshell uh, it's easiest for us to source from a farm that already has a third-party certification. So if they've gone through BAP, they're like, you know, their farm and their feed mill and their processing is all four-star BAP. That's great. They've done, you've done a lot of the homework for us, and that makes it much more attractive as a buyer to say, okay, let's go check out this farm, and I know that I can probably get access to the products in an efficient manner. I know that the feed already has gone through this uh, verification and audit, or at least, you know, met these standards. Then what we do is we start asking additional questions like, what's in the feed? Um, are you using algaes? Are you using any innovative alternative proteins, not just soy and corn, but really innovating on that, like the soldier fly larvas and things of that nature? Yeah. Um, what percentage of algae-based oils? Do you have an omega-3 to omega-6 ratio um, statement that you can share? Uh, we look at the mercury levels in the products. Uh, we don't sell anything that has mercury levels uh, above 0.1 parts per million, which you know helps to ensure that customers, according to the FDA conservative guidelines on how often you can eat seafood, are, are you know compliant with being able to eat it seven days a week. Um, we go through these steps, and then the final check. Um, well, there's a few other things like how good is the processing because we only do frozen product, which is um, challenging for some farms because traditional frozen product for commodity distribution is way different than sushi grade frozen product. And is that because that, of the like uh, how quickly you need to get it frozen? Yes, how partially quickly, how it was harvested, like EKG versus just like thrown in a bucket versus slush versus bled. Like, how do you really like 
minimize the amount of stress hormones that are released mm -hmm. in that process. Because yep. the, just like in you and me, like when stress ages us, but it also ages the flesh of an animal that is dying. Mm -hmm. Quite literally, the uh, the decomposition is accelerated when it has that lactic lactic acid release. So, how is it harvested? How is it handled? It? Um, chain of pull. But then, like the proof is in the pudding. Like when you receive a piece of frozen fish that you defrost, and there's a bunch of water in the bag, and the flesh is mushy, that was not frozen in an optimal manner. Like properly frozen fish should have very little water and it should have that firm texture just like fresh fish so that's mm -hmm. the goal that's sort of gold standard it shouldn't have any smell on it like when you open it it should smell like the ocean or the salt water or whatever the environment was the mere water the environment not the you know the acceleration of bacteria and other elements that are starting to oxidize and then the the final final layer is a taste test uh my wife is our sort of uh, de facto, like final uh, thumbs up, thumbs down. And when I met her 20 years ago, she was like, oh, I don't like seafood. I don't like sushi. And I was like, well, I'm going to show you that you just haven't had good seafood. And she now likes seafood, likes sushi, but she has, like some people do, high sensitivity. She's super sensitive. She can smell the most subtle indication of something not being optimal. And if she thinks that it's subtly fishy, and if my thinking is like, ooh, that's interesting. Like, I like that dry age funk. She's <laughs> like some consumers, highly sensitive to anything subtly fishy at all. So nothing yeah. in the Sotopi catalog gets on the kettle without first going to her and it can't have any fishy aftertaste. And sometimes that's even just like, like in a RAS system, like the, there's certain smells of that sort of like almost like pool environment that aquarium smell like how long was the did they purge the animals before harvesting so all those little things go into sourcing i tried to make it short but that tended to be long no no that's great <laughs> no that that's fantastic I, I i wanted you to take your time with that because i think i i don't think people kind of often think about how many different decisions need to be taken into account when you're sourcing something especially for you guys which is you know you're you're sourcing such a high quality product um, you know, you really need to take the time to go through everything. Uh, and I'm glad that there are programs out there that can help you kind of skip some of those steps. Like you said, some of the third-party certifications. Are there any other certifications that you recognize uh, yeah, to help you make those decisions? I know you mentioned BAP, but I'm wondering what other, what else you uh, look at. I mean, BAP, ASC, Global Gap. I like some of the European, European uh, organic certifications. Um, uh, OceanWise. Um, um, uh, GSO 1000. There's uh, uh, there's a handful more that uh, do a lot of the legwork for us, and if we're able to access those audits, and that's the biggest thing, like transparently providing that information. If I can go and I can actually accelerate the process of just vetting the farm because somebody did an audit and there's an annual audit and those reports are actually available, I can download that PDF. That sort of information makes it a lot more, you know, a lot faster. So yeah, those are some of the. There, there's there's quite a few. I think you know the main ones are are, are BAP and ASC though for sure. Nice. So I'm curious before we get into kind of the messaging and the telling the story and stuff that we we are going to talk about, but I'm curious 
from like a business standpoint, looking at the marketplace in such a niche fashion, how do you think the market for like the really high quality of the sushi grade products uh, compares to kind of the more generic product uh, market for seafood? I'm not sure if I made if I asked that question <laughs> clearly enough, but you know it, it is it's such a it's such a defined kind of yeah. slice of the it's marketplace. Tiny. Yeah, it's small, um, yeah. but it's small but mighty, right? I mean, this is like really so. really high quality food that's going to demand uh, a much higher price in some cases. And so I'm just kind of curious what your perspective is on that side of the market compared to the market as a whole, and kind of why you're choosing yeah. to focus on that side of the marketplace. It is a smaller part of the market primarily because of the uh, price point. I don't think anybody who eats like low cost, poorly frozen, you know, seafood chooses to, to buy that because, you know, that's their preference. It's, it's really a price point thing. The only reason we're focusing on that initially is that that's the only segment of the market that we were able to initially build a financially sustainable and scalable business model. So if we use traditional seafood supply chains and we, you know, just, you know, sold through, you know, grocery and, you know, it was a volume game, then we would probably have a different business model. We're endeavoring to support the most innovative agriculture practices. We're endeavoring to build a market-driven solution that fosters the growth of these better farming practices, better feed, um, and get it to consumers in an authentically sustainable manner. So no styrofoam, for example. Yep. How do you do that with commodity products without first developing the economies of scale on and, and financially uh, profitable sale uh, of, you know, algae-based feed products, right? Some of these feeds uh, are, you know, especially with carnivorous fish, you know, the single largest uh, cost component for a farm. If, you know, if the costs are going to go up by, let's just say like even 5, 10, 20%, is there a buyer willing to pay that extra? And in a commodity market where it's not specifically providing an incentive and a value on that change in the feed because most consumers buyers when they say that most buyers aren't asking for a better feed you know i've heard ha heard from some farms that they say the buyers are pretty happy with the existing feed why change it you know like i i've become good friends right. with some people that develop that are that are doing these algae-based oils like vera maris for example and their yeah. challenge yeah. is that they're not seeing enough demand from consumers. Thus, they're not seeing enough demand from the distributors. Thus, they're not seeing a justification for the distributors. So we are endeavoring to celebrate the individual farms, build up those brands that are increasing the utilization of these practices and feeds and paying them what it actually costs. And as those economies of scale grow, we can start seeing those prices come down and transition to a broader appeal of product. So yeah, that, that's kind of the, the we, we, we started in this niche, niche because this was the only way to financially uh, sustainably do it. Do you have an attractant, paladin, or other feed enhancing ingredient that can replace krill in aquafeed? 
The future of fish feed invites innovators from the feed additive and ingredient sectors to enter the F3 krill replacement challenge to find replacements for marine animal ingredients in aquafeeds. The krill replacement product that results in the best fish growth, feed consumption, and survival during a 12-week feeding trial on Atlantic salmon will win a $100,000 grand prize. Registration is open until August 31st, 2023. Visit the website f3challenge.org to learn more. I will say, you know, having worked in the seafood industry close to a decade, uh, it definitely is an industry that does have a lot of, uh, if it ain't broke, don't fix it type mentalities. But I will also say on the other side of that, that something that we bring up all the time on the podcast is specifically in aquaculture, a a willingness and an excitement around new innovations and trying new things and, and, um, you know, really putting an emphasis on bettering the process yeah. and the product overall. Um, and so I think this is a great yeah. industry to be in that higher end side of it because there's going to be continuous improvement and, and efforts yeah. to try and meet those standards Absolutely. more than you might see in, in other industries, which is, which is, yeah. is great. Yeah, it's a tech industry in a sense, right? Because no marine biologist got into the space because he wanted to develop commodity products for Costco. He gets into this space because he's passionate about the ocean and ocean conservation and replicating the models of biodiversity and and symbiotic uh, ecosystems. This is what gets these neurobiologists excited and enthusiastic. And then the problem is if there's not actually a market to support it, then you you have a board that says, well, we're not going to continue to subsidize the sale of products that aren't profitable, like sell what sells. Right. But it's also a marketplace where if you're doing research, right, and you're, and you're, you're discovering some new facet that can improve grow out efficiencies or can yeah. improve uh, nutrient uptake from feeds or something like that. Like, yes, there is a hard and fast science that you can do and publish papers on and do all this stuff to literally show like, hey, if the industry did more of this X, Y, Z, it will result in more money for the people that are producing them, right? And you can make right. those direct connections with what you're doing. It's not pie in the sky kind of things that we see. It's it's a lot of like, well, hey, this is really down and dirty into the science and the molecular, you know, science of this feed ingredient or something like that, you know, this synthetic protein that's helping uptake yeah. better nutrients or something. It's it's really complicated and it sounds scary and confusing and you might not want to change because whatever you're doing is already working, but let me show you the results that say if you implement this process, you will see better grow out rates. Your fish will grow this much faster and uh, you can sell them for this much more money. And then that's what makes the change, right? So you see a much faster adoption of these innovations because you're able to make those connections to what everybody is out here for, which is the money really, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it has to be financially sustainable in order for it to continue, right? We can't, you know, we're not out here to lose money, right? That's not the name of the, that's yeah. not a, that's not a, a long-term solution. It's not sustainable. Um, and, and don't get me wrong. I'm a big fan of the industry. I just, uh, you know, my reason for, for, uh, creating Zootopia was that I saw that there was inefficiencies in the market market inefficiencies are opportunities. And that's kind of where Zootopia has found our niche. Yeah. For sure. So l- let's talk about kind of walking the walk, right? Because that's what Cetopia is doing. And we are, uh, you know, w- we were talking before we started recording about kind of, well, what's something that we really wanted to to focus in on? And I think that something that really oozes out of you as a passion is this communication and this storytelling around aquaculture and getting 
the word out. And it's something that we have a passion for too, is, you know, we talk about this vacuum, how we, we celebrate all of these great things that are happening within the industry, but nobody outside the industry really has any idea of what's going on. They just have these kind of outside perspectives that they're choosing to see. So how do we, you know, get some of this great information out of that vacuum and, and into the minds of other people that are not directly in the industry? And I, I'd love to hear your take on that because uh, I think Seatopia is doing a great job uh, being like a representative for that. So can you get kind of get into that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're, we are telling the stories and we're doing it um, because that resonates with consumers and, and the consumers are making the buying decisions. Um, and it works for us be, uh, because uh, those consumers are directly voting um, and they, they're making the same sort of, dis- we're teaching them to apply the same thinking that they that they've learned uh, in sourcing beef or tomatoes or chickens. They're asking like, how is it farmed? Was it sprayed? Are there chemicals on it? When was it harvested? What's the name of the farm? And those, that same thinking, um, unfortunately, has not been applied to seafood, right? Unfortunately, with seafood, we have this extra competitive um, um, market because there is still this huge supply of wild caught seafood. And, you know, as you know, 50% of the seafood in the U S is still wild caught. And that, uh, creates a lot of misinformation, especially when, you know, you have large marketing dollars from like the Alaskan seafood cooperative, very efficiently spreading a concise message that farm fish is inferior to wild caught fish and that all farm is inferior to all wild caught. And that doesn't encourage consumers to ask more questions. The same questions they ask about their chicken and the beef. How was it farmed? Was this a factory farm or is this a regenerative farm? What are the uh, what was in the feed? What did this this cattle eat? What did this fish eat those questions are not being applied when they're just defaulting to well farm is inferior to wild you know it's not the cow it's the how it's such a beautiful and poignant um analogy in beef and has really laid the foundation for regenerative cattle industry where people are actually asking well how was that cattle raised with aquaculture it's complicated because we have again this this uh these different sources of seafood whether it's farmed or wild and people are digging deeper and we're endeavoring to train them to ask deeper questions and some of those questions you know with fish right it's sustainable thin fish it's not about what's on your plate it's the ecosystems we create how do we get terms like that to have the same sort of resonances it's not the cow it's the how it's yeah, not we need a just, rhyme. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we need a good rhyme. We need, you know, and, and I have a few that I've been working on, you know. Uh, but uh, <laughs> oh, we'd it's, love it's to not hear just them. <laughs> the fin, it's the environment they're in is another one, right? Um, fin fish farming, it's not about the net gain, it's the ecosystems we sustain, right? How do we plant those ideas that when farming 
we can actually not only sustain, but improve the ecosystems, right? That the principles of multi-trip aquaculture, you know, integrating these, uh, these filter feeders, uh, these carbon sequestration systems, these, uh, these ecosystem engineers into, uh, that into the environment to create a net positive impact to uh, to have that that vision and that story of the potential of aquaculture to really celebrate it that's what we're trying to do uh, in in the regenerative agriculture movement there's a beautiful film called the biggest little farm i don't know if you guys have seen it uh, but it, it tells such a wonderful I've definitely story heard of that take some time to watch it. it it is so inspiring it you know it's the struggles and triumphs over years of developing a small regenerative farm in Southern California. And it takes, you know, their struggles are real. Like there's fires, there's droughts, there's predators, all the things they go through. But over time, they, they persevere and they build this beautiful regenerative farm. And it, it's really celebrating that story. We need those same sort of stories that consumers can really identify with in aquaculture. It's so far like out of sight out of mind we need more consumers to come and visit farms we need more ecotourism in aquaculture we need more you know consumers and media and press and influencers to visit farms and actually see and swim with the fish and taste the, the feed and see the integration between kelp and mussels and oysters and scallops and the fin fish and not just say that regenerative aquaculture is just you know, shellfish and kelp, but look at the integrations because as much as I like mussels and kelp, it's a lot harder to sell a premium center of the plate piece of kelp than it is you know, a <laughs> mm-hmm. premium piece of salmon, right? So the integration, celebrating these individual farm brands that are making the investment in doing multi-trophic farming and rewarding them for those efforts, that's what we're trying to do, I guess, if that resonates. Yeah, it sure does. I, I want to be conscious of time because I know that you do have a, a hard stop that's coming up and, and I don't want to begin to wrap up, but I do want to ask a question regarding what the future holds. We've talked a lot about, and it's been a relatively short amount of time. I know we want to put COVID kind of behind us and we want to see, push it away and say, you know, that wasn't, th- that was a long time ago, but it really wasn't. And this is, and that's really what started this whole business model that you have with Cetopia. And is there anything that you can share with us about what some of the, some future endeavors or what the future holds for Cetopia or anything else that you got planned up your sleeve? Yeah. Uh, I'm really proud to say that we're working with some farms that, um, might have traditionally been considered more like commodity producers that have pilot projects that are going to be providing sort of uh, at least initial exclusive products for Cetopia. So, for example, there's a steelhead uh, farm in Chile that mm-hmm. is making a significant investment in changing the feed to using algae based feeds and soldier fly larvae. They literally, you know, we had conversations with them. They literally said, you know, the existing buyers have no interest in paying premium for an algae-fed soldier fly larva fish, but we know that it's part of the future. Yeah. And you guys are asking for that. Let's launch this together. So that's really exciting. We have some similar projects with uh, a salmon farm and just helping cultivate um, better farm products 
um, really enabling farms to passionately pursue the most cutting edge, innovative practices in aquaculture and bringing those to our consumers who are literally asking for it. You know, I literally have consumers saying, hey, I don't want soy and corn in the feed. I'm willing to pay extra. Just get me the best, healthiest fish as soon as you can. We're here to buy it. That's That makes me really proud that we're able to see little waves happening and helping, you know, create a a, a market and demand and foster for, for change. So uh, those are some of the things that, are, that I'm excited about. Yeah, I'm excited that we're, we're you know, slowly growing our business. You know, we've, uh, we're, we're um, yeah, that working to, to create more efficient market uh, for products like that. that. That's one that I'm really excited about. I'm excited uh, to do some farm tours or going back to Central America. So my wife and I lived on our sailboat for about 10 years. And during COVID, uh, while launching Seatopia, we sailed from Los Angeles all the way down to Costa Rica. Uh, and we got pregnant along the way. So we've been back in LA for the last year. Um, but we're going to go back to our, our boat and, and visit a couple more farms. I'm excited about that to be able to tell some authentic stories of more of the farms that are in our in our, in our network. Um, just, you know, nothing compares to the authenticity of bringing some, you know, influencers and some chefs and our cameras to farms, interviewing the people that work there, you know, filming underwater at the farm site, you know, showing the harvest, the whole process, nothing compares to that. When we can authentically tell those stories and bring, you know, like some of our VIP customers and, and some of these people to these farms and do these sort of intimate dinners and then tell those stories, that, that is, is really, you know, I think critical, you know, and I hope that that turns into something bigger. You know, my, my, my vision is that we can, we can turn these sort of little stories, these vignettes into a bigger picture, a bigger story, a, a bigger uh, movement uh, of educating consumers and inspiring them, building these sort of inspirational stories that not only educates customers, but helps, you know, shift the industry towards, uh, you know, just you know, the industry is improving. We all know that the aquaculture same is great. I'm just trying to help accelerate it, be a catalyst for, for, the niche that I'm focused on right now is how do we produce healthier seafood as soon as possible. Fantastic. And you're doing some work with us here at BAP. Do you want to, are we allowed to talk about that campaign or? Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, why not? I mean, uh, you know, I'm hoping that BAP is part of these, these uh, farm visits and these stories that we're doing. Uh, you know, we have, uh, uh, you know, I think we're going to be uh, doing something in line with October being seafood. National Seafood Month. Um, yeah, I, I think there's more to come in that regard. But yeah, BAP's platform it is super aligned with what we're doing. You know, the education you guys have been doing, it all helps create more educated buyers, right? And that, that I think, is going to change the industry. You know, the, the part of the reason, in my opinion, you haven't seen great consumer facing education from the industry is that most of the industry isn't selling direct to consumer they're selling b2b so it's b2b journalism it's b2b marketing and that has a limiting um ability to really uh connect with and innovate because if 
if those B2B buyers aren't the end consumer, they don't actually know for sure what the end consumer wants. You know, it's, it's, there's, there's sort of a missed opportunity there. So as more retail and direct consumer platforms come online, I think that you know, we're, we should be seeing more improved direct consumer communications. And, and I'm stoked to be you know, collaborating with VAP and some of that stuff. I think if we were to pull a sound bite from this episode, that last like paragraph you said <laughs> would be perfect. <laughs> yeah. Nice. No, um, we're, we're excited to see the results of this campaign too, that Elise is, mm-hmm. is helping head up yep. uh, that you guys are involved in. It's going to be really cool. So, uh, but I, I do want to be conscious of time and I want to make sure that you have a little bit of time before you have your next uh, thing at two o'clock. So let's start to wrap this up. Uh, is what is the best way for people to contact you or Ctopia if they want to learn more or get in contact with you guys? ctopia.fish that's our url pretty easy just go to at ctopia on ig or instagram or um, facebook or youtube and uh, the website is um, ctopia.fish yeah and uh, yeah you can hit me up on linkedin or whatever if you wanted to reach out to me directly fantastic so we'll link to that in the show notes but uh, is there anything else that you want to get out there uh, while you have the platform before we sign off it's not about the scale it's about the environmental tail. <laughs> We're getting there. We'll workshop it. <laughs> I have a flashbacks of that. Uh, yeah. 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 The, the little uh, rhyming journal. Yeah. Just, we got to do it, man. Mind. It's not the cow, it's the how. It's so good, but we'll get there on, on CQ1. On the awesome. Show. Well, yeah. uh, James, thank you so much for joining us again. We really appreciate it. Yeah. And uh, we'll, we'll keep in touch. We're excited to see where you go. Likewise. Thank you, guys. Keep doing what you're doing. You're getting the word out there. Likewise. Thanks again. Breach. okay folks that was our conversation with james arthur smith the co-founder of Cetopia. i hope you enjoyed it i hope you learned something and i hope you're excited about spreading the word of aquaculture outside of the vacuum remember to subscribe to aquademia wherever you listen so every time a new episode comes out it'll be automatically downloaded directly to your device follow us on twitter at aquademia pod if you want to contact the podcast for any reason sponsorship topic ideas if you want to be a guest uh you can do so with our online form which is located at globalseafood.org slash podcast leave us a rating and review wherever you listen it really helps us out and remember to take the survey that we have up right now links in the show notes If it is no longer available, I guess you'll find that out when you click on the link. But uh, if it's still available, please take, you know, it's less than a minute. Just answer a couple questions for us. It'll really help us out to make sure that we're giving you top quality content that you're looking for. And if you like what we do and you would like to be more involved with the Global Seafood Alliance, you may want to consider becoming a member. And all of the information about our membership program can be found at globalseafood.org slash membership. Thank you so much for listening and we will talk to you next time. Ciao. Adios.